to Big Ronnie inside the Doctor Who Watch Along podcast where this week we are we have been watching Doctor Who Series 1 Episode 3 the what's it called Harry? It is The Unquiet Dead by Mark Gatiss. Yes um, it's the first episode of New Who where we actually properly travel in time to, well we travelled to the far from future last week and this week we've gone right to the past. Do you think it was a deliberate thing for them to go present future past? Yeah, I I said this at, uh, in the last episode. And I totally think it was a very deliberate and very smart move to have a story in the present followed immediately by a story in the future, followed instantly by a story in the past. And all three sh- stories really show kind of the range that Doctor Who can offer and yeah. kind of the variety of things that you can do. You can do high sci-fi. You can do kind of period pieces with... Uh, supernatural slash alien elements yeah um, yeah because even though this episode is set in the past and it is on a sci-fi show it is very strict back of its sci-fi elements i feel back from the gelf yeah. that's the only real sci-fi thing in compared to last week's episode where it was new alien after new alien after new alien and i think kind of the thing the advantage to doing historical period pieces and I remember as a kid the historical pieces were always the ones I enjoyed the most um I'm not sure why but one thing I appreciate them now about them now is um that obviously because they're working the BBC productions mm. the BBC already makes a lot of period dramas yes so they have a wealth of different props and costumes particularly yes. from Victorian era yes, that yes, they can yes. lean into like I'm sure the BBC must have made countless versions of A Christmas Carol over the years yeah, and just I, dip into that pool of costumes to make a really <laughs> authentic feeling Victorian... Um, well, it's not Victorian London, it's Victorian Cardiff. But Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed it. I watched The Confidential beforehand and the production aspect of them filming outside on the streets with the snow. I thought that Did they actually be... film in Cardiff? I probably was in Cardiff, I imagine. Yeah, but I know the whole. Oh, it was in. It was in Swansea. They filmed the exterior shots in Swansea, which is where Matt Gatiss is. Is where he's from. Right. So I don't know if that was deliberate or if it was just a coincidence. But he said it was very good to see Doctor Who being made in the place where he wanted Doctor Who to actually live. I did not realise Mark Gatiss was Welsh. No, I didn't. Unless he isn't Welsh and then later moved to Wales. But I really like the yeah. um, the range of characters that are in this episode, aside from the Doctor and Rose. I thought the portrayal of Charles Dickens is really good. I thought that looks like Charles mm. Dickens. If I had to draw Charles Dickens... If you, if you showed you me a picture it. of that Charles Dickens and said, this is Charles Dickens, I wouldn't think it was a character actor. I would have thought it was a real deal. Yeah, and it wasn't just like a caricature 
as mm. either. It wasn't just some kind of trope who, you know, spewed off different quotes or anything. Mark Gatiss really went to the effort <laughs> to make him feel like, you know, a human being who's lived a full life and is starting to, you know, question his mortality, whether he's made a good use of his time in the world. Yes. And I feel like, you know, even though I've not lived anywhere near that full life, I could totally identify with him and the humanity of wanting to make your life meaningful. Like I really, really attached to Charles Dickens. I thought he was very well realized in this episode. He has some really great lines. Yeah. He has some really great lines as well. What do I, something he did say is when he goes and knocks on the door of Mr. Sneed and they say they're closed and he just goes, don't be stupid. The dead don't die on schedule. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's great. He has that wit and he's written with that wit in. Another thing I really love is how, um, the ninth doctor just starts fanboying out as mm. soon as he realizes who he is. I like and the fact he's a huge, very... Char- he's a huge Charles Dickens fan, but doesn't know what Charles Dickens looks like. <laughs> yeah. You'd think he's met him at least once before. Like with all that time, you'd have thought he'd have at some point gone back, but I mean, not scrutinizing that. I just yes. love how the doctor, despite being like, you know, this larger in life character who's lived for hundreds of years, been everywhere and seen it all. It's a similar thing to how in the last episode he got excited meeting all these alien creatures, and here he gets really excited meeting this historical figure. I think that works really well just, when um, he introduces Charles Dickens to Rose, and she goes, oh, "Who's your new friend?" And he goes, it's "Charles Dickens." And she goes, "All right, okay." <laughs> she she like, just isn't phased by it. <laughs> yeah, I think, it's, I think it's probably a mixture of like not being phased by it, and also if you think we've not seen Rose sleep since the start of um you know since going adventuring for doctor like she's had a really packed day like yes. in the span of one day she's fought waxworks she's um, <laughs> gone to the end of the world and now she's in victoria london it's probably a bit where she's probably a- numbed by it all by this yes. point you'd probably throw anything in her face and she wouldn't be phased yeah you say that but when she exits the tardis you can see she's very excited and sort of taken back by the fact that she's in Victorian Cardiff when she puts her feet on the snow and sort of tests the ground. Like she almost doesn't believe what's actually happened. I mean, she has a line at the start of the episode, which I think was really great where she kind of talks about how him, for most people like time, like something happens and it's gone. Whereas the doctor's ability to go back to any period of time that's been and just relive it and bring that period back to life. Yeah. And I feel like that really, really captures kind of like the wonder of time travel and the yeah. potential of what you can do and really kind of shows what an amazing concept it would be if mm. it, we were able to do it. Yeah, I never thought of it like that until she said it. And I, it's really got me, got me really thinking as I was like, I was like, even though like, I'm alive today and I was alive yesterday and I was alive the day after. Everything else about that day is pretty much dead. Mm. Like the movements and the light and the sounds and the smell, that would never happen again. And when you think about it, you're like, that's quite a deep thing to really go into. And she just says it yeah. in like a one sentence and he, he just mm. has it every day and he doesn't really cross his mind. Mm. What did you think to um, when the doctor tells her to go and get changed and she comes back? And he's quite taken back by what she's wearing. Oh, yeah, she says, wow, you're beautiful yes. for a human. Yes. I mean, that's the thing. There are other doctors who've kind of done it as well. Um, it, I think it's kind of almost like probably some kind of, you know, little sneaky gallif- 
phrase they have where the doctor to avoid like giving away their feelings of of attraction to someone they can just dismiss them as oh for an alien species <laughs> i remember later down the line matt smith does stuff of a very similar vein yeah. talking about clara yeah because i noticed it a lot because i remember last time when we spoke about episode one i sort of referred to the doctor and rose as quite a older brother younger sister relationship was the vibe i got and then from this one was when i really started to notice from that line that the doctor was he maybe did quite fancy rose or maybe he had slight feelings towards her, or at least found her attractive yeah i mean yeah it's, it's kind of i am glad that um it is kind of one of those relationships that you can't kind of easily label it or put it in a box there are yeah. a lot of different dimensions to a relationship there is a sort of mentor teacher aspect there is sort of a romance aspect there is a sort of you know um familial aspect to it there yes. are a lot of dialogues it's not a straightforward relationship it's complicated and like yeah. it's not just like one-way adoration or like two-way adoration there's bits where they butt heads like you know later on in the episode they but rose butts heads saying like it's not right for another being to possess a dead body it's wrong I yeah allow it. i really liked that scene i sort of found myself bouncing between the two of them sort of again mm. oh, who do i actually agree with here because i sort of agree with rose but then the doctor's going it doesn't really matter we may as well do it anyway mm. what did you when yeah. did you find that as well or was you just quite yeah it surprised me just how yeah because i'd forgotten about just how much kind of of a how much of that was in that episode. That's kind of a part of the episode I've almost completely forgotten about and kind of yeah. the ethics of um, using, you know, um, the body of someone whose life is gone to continue the life of someone else. Yeah. And it's it's a concept. I mean, that's the great thing about sci-fi. Sci-fi allows you to kind of explore these high concept concepts. Mm. <laughs> I really like kind the... Of necessary. Um... The interactions of Rose and Gwyneth. I thought those two acting together and the way those two characters bounced off each other with Gwyneth's yeah. complete amusement and admad um what's the word I'm looking for? Where amusement? She, uh, she just really admires Rose, didn't she? Like her outgoingness out of oh, fact yeah. that Rose compared to Gwyneth is this really strong, independent woman who even though she's doing normal day-to-day stuff that is so normal of 2005 compared to Gwyneth earning eight pounds a year working at a funeral director's, it's unimaginable. Mm. And then because, thought... like, really, when you think about it, in the span of, like, all of, like, you know, the span of the life of this planet, 100 years or so, or, like, 200 years, you wouldn't think that much would change, but really so much has changed. Yeah. And, like, you know, 200, 150 years from now even more will have changed like the world that we live in will probably be so eight you know the world a hundred year or so years ago is just as alien as aliens yes yes you know? yeah i was I, as i was watching i was like oh i could really i'd really like to see a spin-off of rose and gwyneth living in victorian london oh no the other way around gwyneth coming to modern day england and rose like having to sort of teach how to be a 21st century woman <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was surprised by how much time was spent on that one scene. It's just the two of them in. Was it a cupboard? I think she's washing up, isn't or... she? Gwyneth's washing up. Or it was it a washing up room? Yeah. Yeah. But like, 
I mean, I've got a hat, like, you wouldn't expect um, a sci-fi show, a family sci-fi show, to commit that much time to, you know, just two women in a pretty intimate room talking, but, um, you know, uh, everyone involved kind of committed to that scene, and it ended up really paying off, and it was a really engaging scene, kind of one mm. of the most engaging exchanges of dialogue in the whole episode. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And within that dialogue, we get a second mention of the series, The Bad Wolf. Did you pick up on it? Yes. yes. I picked up on it this time. Yeah, yeah. with um, Gwyneth. At the end, she just says, The Big Bad Wolf. I only picked up... I wonder if it was as noticeable watching it the first time it ever aired, obviously not knowing what was to come. If people were like, why, why yeah. is she saying The Big Bad Wolf? But I don't, yeah. maybe, I don't really think it would have been. Yeah. I mean, I remember um, I've seen another, a few months or a year or so ago, I watched this other watch along of series one. I think it was Blind Wave, if you've ever seen them. Um, And they didn't pick up on Bad Wolf until the next story, when it gets graffitied on the side (laughs) of the TARDIS. And one of them makes a note of Bad Wolf. And then with each episode, they keep noticing the Bad Wolf. So I imagine it's the thing where kind of, I imagine different audience members kind of picked up on it at different points. And it might be a thing where unless you weren't taking notes, you wouldn't pick up on it. But it's, it's really cool and it's really subtle. And I know kind of it's something that hasn't really been done in the show since Mm. in quite the same way. I feel like they tried tried to do it with vote Saxon and then they, Mm. Really try to do it again with the timeless child, but we we can get to that. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. There's the hybrid as well in series uh, nine. Is it? Do you remember Which, the hybrid? I don't remember where that. Where in like every episode, Peter Capaldi would like find something that's like part one thing, part another, and he'd say it's like a hybrid. Imagine did not ever pick up on that. No, do you not remember the bit yeah. where it's? Um, sorry, um, I've got to say. Um, I will probably fall into doing impersonations of different doctors at different points throughout the series. Um, you were away partway through the um, last episode, and I did a really bad Chris Eccleston impression. Um, all of my Doctor Who impressions are terrible. I like Chris Eccleston ones. I'm not going to be bad. hired. <laughs> I, remember I remember years ago you had me do this video where I dubbed over a scene from Rose where I voiced the Doctor and Rose. Yes, you did. You did both of them. I forgot you did both yeah. of them. But yes. Yeah. If How I can thought, you if I... something that big in a city this small? Hang <laughs> on, what? The transmitter. If I can find it, I'll uh, I'll stick it at the end of this. If you're watching it on YouTube, I'll stick it on the end of this. Yeah, um, I think you took the original video down with good reason. Yes, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. I found. I think we might have touched on it earlier. The side characters. I really like the. There's a especially with, so we talked about Gwyneth and Rose. The Doctor and Charles. And Charles Dickens. Yeah. yeah, and then there's Mr. Sneed as well, who I think is a pretty... I think he's a really good, funny character. Do you have anything to say about Mr. Sneed? Oh, sorry, yeah, you <laughs> cut out partway through. Oh, sorry. Sentence. I'll, I'll say it again, it's uh, fine. I'll, I'll start yeah. that whole thing again. Uh, one thing I did like about the episode is it's got a really good, broad range of characters. It's got Gwyneth, who plays well with Rose, the Doctor and Charles Dickens, and then there's Mr. Sneed as well, who I think is a pretty funny character. Yeah, he's, he works really well as kind of this uh, comic antagonist, where really for the first third or half of the episode, 
he is the antagonist. It isn't the um, I can't remember what they're called Gelf. the alien race. Yeah, it isn't the Gelf. Kind of, he's the one. Like you know, he like chloroforms Rose and kidnaps and that was his go after. And kind of just the fact that he's going to like these insane irrational lengths. Yeah, like, I wanted he, to touch on that a little bit because. And, um, sorry, go on. If you haven't finished, go on. And then, yeah, it's, it's kind of really satisfying that later in the episode, kind of everyone else kind of just exposes him for being, you know, the buffoon that he is in yes. how he acts. Yeah, he has some really good lines as well when he just says, the stiffs are very active. <laughs> I feel that was Mark Gatiss writing that game. <laughs> that sounds funny. <laughs> I mean, Mark Gatiss is a very funny writer. I mean, I I don't know about much of his work, but um, I... I'm a, quite a big fan of League of Gentlemen yes. and just how kind of some of the dialogue in that is just so wonderfully absurd and bizarre in some of his situations. I mean, I remember there's one episode of League of Gentlemen that Chris Reckleson's actually in. I think it's the very first episode. This, I, don't know, I don't think it's the very first episode. It's in the first series um, okay. where there's these people who um, have set up, I think it's a dog cinema which is a cinema that only plays films containing or about dogs oh, right, and then okay. Chris Eccleston shows up and Chris Eccleston has um, opened up a rival cinema that only shows films about cats <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor Christopher I mean, it's great. I mean there was one thing I if I'd you pick- love wonderfully weird I'm just saying if you love wonderfully weird British comedy like League of Gentlemen check it out <laughs> One thing that I was, when I was watching this episode, because it was an episode, like I said, I was thinking, oh, I've got to watch this third episode. It's all right. I don't remember much from it. But I really started to like it. It made me think one thing, which is, why hasn't or has Mark Gatiss ever been offered the job of showrunner? I remember um, when Moffat was like in talk, like when people were thinking when it was getting to the end of Moffat's tenure. I don't think he announced he was stepping down. But loads of people kind of just assumed Mark Gatiss would be the next showrunner. I think I did. Like as well, he'd yeah. written, he'd written consistently for the show since its revival. Mm. Obviously, him and Moffat collaborated on Sherlock. Yes, those people kind of assumed he would. I guess I'm not sure why Gatiss didn't want to. Maybe like obviously he does a lot of acting work as well. So yes. maybe he would have taken too much time away from that. Maybe he just didn't feel that he had a vision for the show. I'm not sure. Um, maybe he felt that because he's worked a lot with Moffat, it would have been more of the same and he wanted to see someone like shake up the show. I'm not sure. Yes, maybe, yeah. I mean, Do- I would be, yeah, I'd be open to him being showrunner at some point down the line. Uh, um, I definitely would, yeah. He's an enjoyable writer. Yes. And I think this, especially watching this, I think about it now, I maybe I prefer this episode more than Rose. I'm not sure. Oh, like, maybe with yeah. This fresh perspective. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I struggle to rank them at the moment. But I thought what we could do is when I was looking at some stuff to do with this episode, I looked into a bit of uh, the history of Mike Gatiss, and it's quite interesting and strange. Would you like to listen to his career? Yeah, I know bits and pieces. Yeah. Okay, so he started his writing. Um, with Virgin Publishing, where he wrote a, a small number of Doctor Who novels. So did you know that? Mm. Okay. Yeah, I knew he started off writing Doctor Who novels. Yeah, I think within them, he started to actually try and change some of the problems that had caused the show to be cancelled in the first place, or to lose some of its viewership. I'm unaware of what those changes would be, because I haven't read any of his stuff, but I imagine 
maybe making it. Well, I know that. I believe Russell T. Davis also wrote some of those Virgin novels as well. Yes, he did. I was uh, last night. I was watching an interview with him and Moffat talking about the two um, Target books they've wrote for Rose and Day of the Doctor. And Moffat mm. passes mention that I think one of the first times he was aware who Russell was was when he saw one of his Doctor Who books on a shelf. Mm. Okay, so this is when it gets slightly strange. Um, when Doctor Who went off the air, um, Mark Gator started writing a straight-to-DVD series called Probe, P-R-O-B-E, with dots in between, which was a straight-to-video okay. series, uh, which is classed as the first official Doctor Who live-action spin-off. Oh. But contains no characters or no strong references to Doctor Who because it wasn't BBC licensed. Right. So, <laughs> so it's like since retroactively been made canon. Well, no. Okay, so Pro is a sixth film installment of copyright-free Doctor Who-inspired stories featuring much of the cast of the original series, including John Pertwee, Peter Davison, Colin Baker, and Sylvester McCoy. I think I've heard about this. Don't they like, go by a name other than the Doctor? It's very strange. I try to summarise them, but they're, 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 the films vary in length, from an hour in length to only three minutes in length. What I caught slightly on YouTube, wow. it's very hard to find full episodes, uh, full films. The one I saw was Sylvester McCoy was the head of an asylum uh, like a mental institute. Colin Baker worked there, and Peter Davidson was one of the inmates. That is bizarre. They are so wow. weird. And Mark Gatiss, he stars in them and he writes some of them as well. They are the most, they're the strangest night. They are so low budget as well. It is unbelievable. Mm. I really recommend kids watching. Think, yeah. I was watching the trailer and I'm like, oh my goodness, what is this? But when you look at the, the, the VHS covers, they're all done in a very Doctor Who style to make you think you're probably buying a Doctor Who film. Yeah, like the 90s, like for like stuff like VHSs, which were becoming like more readily available, it must have been just like the Wild West for kind of things that were being put on videotapes. Yeah. Should I, I'll tell you what we can do, yeah. is I'll do it now, we can edit around this, is I'll send you a link to the trailer of one of these pro films, and you can watch it, and then we can see what your, what your reaction is. Okay. okay. I mean, just judging from like the fact that it's kind of this lit straight-to-video film, uh, me and my brother are currently working on a short film, and we've done most of the shooting, so kind of, I have this newfound appreciation just how difficult it is to film something. <laughs> yes. Um, like even just getting like a standard like shot reverse shot. Um, so watching that and seeing some of like the really kind of moody shots and kind of intense lighting and dramatic angles, mm. like I have to commend how much they were able to get out of what was clear, <laughs> you know, clearly a limited budget, but they yes. managed to get a lot out out of their limit they really managed to work to their limitations it yeah. seems intriguing it doesn't give away much about what the plot is other than like Sylvester McCoy is this doctor overlooking a patient zero um, yeah. 
Oh, Patient Zero. I mean, that, that comes into play later on in the eleventh hour because um, Patient Zero is the is the reoccurring. It's Prisoner Zero, isn't it? Is it Prisoner Zero or Patient Zero? Yeah, it's, it's Prisoner Zero. All right, yeah. I look like an idiot, Harry. What are you? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, no, you're, you're, you're the Doctor Who expert. I'm sorry, I don't know anything. <laughs> as as we said in episode one, we know enough about Doctor Who to make a podcast about it. Don't know everything about Doctor Who. <laughs> so don't send your emails. Cool. So going back to the main episode, episode. Um, so going back to the main episode of Doctor Who, was there anything else that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet that you wanted to mention? Um... I mean, this is kind of a very general thing, but I've noticed um, this episode kind of, I don't imagine it was on purpose, but it's kind of st- it started what became a bit of a trend in New Who. Um, mm. A trend that's been copied, not by Gators, um, Gareth Roberts did it a couple of times. The whole idea of the Doctor goes back to a historical period and meets a celebrated writer of the time. Then yes. they encounter something that's often seen in their stories only this time it's real and it's an alien. <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you mean, yeah. I think it's, it's definitely... Like obviously, yeah. And obviously, I guess, Gators bucked the trend with this, obviously, with Eccleston meeting um, Charles Dickens and meeting ghosts, but actually aliens. Yeah. And then, obviously, Gareth Roberts did it a couple of times with Shakespeare and witches, with Agatha Christie and... A wasp. Um, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I've forgotten about I've, that one. Yeah. I mean, I, and I guess the reason why it was repeated as a um, trend throughout New Who is because it worked so well this time. Mm. I mean, we'll have to wait to get to those Gareth Roberts episodes to see if they hold up quite as well as this did. Um, yeah. Yeah, I do kind of rewatching this episode appreciate why it became a trend within New Who. Oh, no, definitely, do yeah. the story structure because it works really well, and uh, Gators really got all the potential from it out of it. Yes, like if you're going to have a Doctor meet a popular historical figure, you want them to do something exciting with it, with the period, with the character, well, mm. the figure. And really, it feels like all the potential for that was kind of squeezed out of it in this episode. Yeah, no, so I agree. So it was a very satisfying watch. Out of what was your thoughts on the ending? How well, they kind I of got... take off? Oh well, I've got some notes on did the Doctor kill again? Because we spoke about him possibly being the the cause yes, of Sandra's death. About that. And then he, so he indirectly kills Cassandra in episode two. Episode three, he indirectly kills Gwyneth by giving her the idea that she needs to um, be part of the gate to allow the guilt to come through. Mm. What do you yeah, think was that? Yeah, and obviously... He's well intentioned, and he can't really contend with his intentions because he wasn't. I guess he could. He wasn't to know that the Gelf were, you know, hostile and wanted to invade Earth. Yeah. Um, he was well intentioned, and so it's hard getting mad at him for that. But that final situation where he, you know, kind of he offers to, um, you know 
take his own life um, to sacri- to save a world, and she refuses. Um, I mean, it's a harder one to pin on him as him being accountable for it. It is. Yeah. It was he kind of, and it was equally her call to bring the Gelf over as him. So it's hard to pin it on him, but it does kind of start to set this tone of, which was established by Clive in Rose that wherever the Doctor goes, tragedy and death follows. Yeah, no, I and agree definitely. It kind of kind of does help to reaffirm that precedent and yeah. it kind of does you know add a sort of foreboding sense about him even though he does try to be jovial and excited you do start to kind of question you know is what the way he's interfering right is um it's safe to travel and associate <laughs> with him because you think if he never came to london everybody um, would have been fine <laughs> I know, I mean, yeah, the girls would have still been there, wouldn't they? But yeah, the Gelf would have not. Um, I mean, I don't imagine the Gelf would have been able to attempt to take over as completely without um, it being a conceited effort to let them through. Yes. Um, so yeah, perhaps things would have been better off if they had not arrived. But then, at the same time, they did kind of give. Charles Dickens, this renewed sense of life and purpose, even yeah. for you know the short span of time he had left, and so it's kind of that moral toss-up of did they do good in that story? Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's like if yeah. if he hadn't turned up, what's the worst that could have happened? <laughs> mm. Arguably, did and you guys more... have to weigh up for yeah. Did so, uh, yeah? Did more finish. did. Did the situation end up worse off because the doctor turned up and tried to get himself involved with it? Mm. Yeah, so... I mean, really, you can say he brought closure to the situation. And maybe closure to the situation is better than it being perhaps not as bad, but still unresolved. Yeah, no, I know what you mean, yeah. yeah. So next week is... Well, we say next week. We're not 100% sure when these come out, but the next episode would be the first of a the first of the first two parter of New Who. Are we All going right. to do it as two separate parts, or are we going to do it one big part? Well, we could just do it as one big part. Yeah, that sounds good. Does that work with you? Yeah, that works with me. Um, one long episode about. The Slovene. <laughs> oh, yeah. Would you like to end the episode by telling everybody what they need to do if they would like to listen to more episodes? Uh, what do they need to do? Oh, because we're on YouTube now. We know we're on YouTube now. We're don't on YouTube we? and we might be on iTunes by the time this comes out. We're not sure yet. Well, for YouTube, I know that you can subscribe, you can like, you can hit that bell for notifications. I already have. Um, <laughs> Have you not seen? Have you not seen your one new subscriber? No. <laughs> no, it's me. Is it? Oh, I'm that's the one lovely. view and the one subscriber on the first episode so far. Oh, I fantastic. even gave it a like. I did the whole shebang. Oh, I did. I like comments saying, "Cool vid, bro." Oh, <laughs> I haven't checked. <laughs> I haven't commented yet. Um, oh, right, maybe I will. We'll see. What do they need to do if they're listening <laughs> on iTunes? I don't know how iTunes works. Well, you'd better take a Did stab at it. Did you just download that. it for free? 
Nope. Well, yeah. Do you have to but... pay on iTunes? No. How, how does it work? They just, they just listen to it. Oh, is it just like another streaming thing? Yeah, but they can subscribe to the podcast. The last time I used iTunes, you had to download. You had to download everything. Oh well, on podcasts you have to download the podcast, but it's free, and you can subscribe, and it downloads instantly to your phone. And also, you can leave a five star review. Oh, they still do five star rankings on iTunes. Yes, I believe it's actually impossible to leave anything less than five stars. Wow! Wow. I mean, I guess if there's no other option, then yeah. you may as well just give five. Like, stars. In fact, rating lower, yeah, rating lower might actually glitch the system. It might yeah. corrupt your uh, iPod Nano. Um, <laughs> and if you leave a review, I'll get Harry to read them out in his Knife Doctor voice. And if you had to describe, <laughs> if if you had to describe, if you had to write a review of this show in one word, Harry, what would that one word be? Are you asking me or are you asking the Ninth Doctor? It depends who's going to answer. <laughs> I want the Ninth Doctor to answer just so I can subject, subject you and anyone listening to my terrible Ninth Doctor impression. Go for it. Fantastic. <laughs> How was that? I think you're actually Was that worth finish. it? Was it everything you dreamed? It was everything I dreamed. So if you want more of that quality content... Make sure to subscribe, like, and whatever is, I don't know. Mm. Cool. Right, we will see you again soon. Bye, everyone. Say bye, Harry. Bye-bye. You're